morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. I like how it says Chief Emily. <laughs> <laughs> you got to tell me about being Chief. That's awesome. Pardon? <laughs> That's what your name came up as. Yeah, yeah. Well, once you're Chief, you're Chief for life. So oh, really? I get to keep the title. <laughs> Good for you. That's mm -hmm. I'll ask you on on the thing. But that's an elected position, being chief. I'm assuming. Yes, it okay. is. Okay. Yeah, excellent. I'm so excited to have this conversation because I'm. I just have a. You'll have to excuse whatever ignorance I have, but I am genuinely interested in the topic. So um, absolutely, feel free, no, to, feel free to catch me. I, that's a <laughs> that's a great starting point, and I never asked for anything more than genuinely interested, and we figure out the rest from there. Okay, good. <laughs> Um, sort of like how you pronounce your name, Wei Tongue. Wait, what tongue? We, we tongue. I was we. gonna name my kids Tiny and Little, but my husband said no. <laughs> <laughs> you think? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, then they'll definitely put us in a home. So. <laughs> <laughs> you chief. Um, and McInnes, McInnes. Mac, Mac Innes. It's Scottish. It's his last okay, name. That's not. That's not indigenous. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. So we'll just talk, but I'm, you know, I'm so interested in what you're doing and why now. And um, I mean, I personally, we can go, we don't have to go into this now, but just feel like at least here in the States that indigenous people have been so left out of this diversity conversation. Like it's, it's yeah. just, and I know that you've had a lot of things come to light recently there. I don't know if that's what's spurring things in Canada. So just, you know, what communicators are doing, what you're doing, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and it is different in, in the US. And I'm not, I'm not fully aware of why it's so different. I think the land base has a lot to do with it. But I, I'm by no means an expert on indigenous relations in the US. <laughs> well, we won't go there. But what did you say just from my own knowledge? You said what the land, the what? The land base. So they, they have huge tracts of land that indigenous people were put on in the US. Right. Um, and in Canada, our, our land base is much smaller. So we have much smaller populations on much smaller land bases, which really impacts um, like so many things, right? How big your population can be. Um, I think they, they mix tribes when they put them on reserves in the U.S. So they would have moved everybody from one state to one reserve. And oh, okay. so that kind of history is different. And, and then a lot more autonomy. They put them there and, and left them there. For the right. most part, and right. a lot more interference continuing in Canada than. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Canadians are also happy and really sure. Yeah. I know everybody <laughs> wants to move to Canada, right? <laughs> All right, I'm going to hit the record button. If we need to stop and restart, it's fine. Okay. We, we edit. Um, okay. Oh, we're recording. I didn't even know that. Look at yeah. this. Yeah, okay. it came on as soon as you logged in. <laughs> Right. You know, then I won't forget because I've yeah. done that. <laughs> right? Isn't that the worst? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And are you in Toronto? No, I'm in Peterborough. Oh, you're on the proper, on your... No, my reserve is about 40 minutes away in Curve Lake. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not quite halfway between the two. <laughs> okay. I was trying to do my research. And I mm -hmm. see there's a lot of wee tongues out there. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. There is. All right. Let's go formal, Emily. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Diana Marzalek. I am senior reporter with Provoke Media. Uh, we have a special guest today um, all the way from Canada. Uh, we have Emily Wietung, 
McKinnis. Did I get that right? I hope. You did. Um, who late last year, he joined Proof Strategies, um, one of our Canadian um, firms um, and friends as a senior advisor of Indigenous relations. So welcome, Emily. Thank you. Um, did a little reading on you. You're a lawyer and you've specialized in Indigenous and Aboriginal law. And I love the fact that you are a former chief of the Curve Lake Nation. I am. Thank you. So welcome. It's great to be here. So let's start the discussion if you could help um, us understand a little bit about the proof practice that I understand you helped design. Um, it's for Indigenous peoples, if I'm correct, and it's one of several that I've seen crop up in our Canadian PR agencies in the last year. Um, so could you, you give me a little background on what you're trying to, what, what the purpose is, what you're doing and all that good stuff, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. If you don't mind, I'm going to start a little bit, uh, a little bit further back in history than that, but not too far. Okay. I, <laughs> all, all of this conversation, I imagine, is, is rooted in a very long history. So please it do. Is. So I, I was the chief of my community for three years from 2019 to 2022. Um, and I, during that time, there's a number of, of needs for businesses and government to build relationships with First Nations. And of all of the responsibilities that I had of chief of our community, I found building those relationships the most rewarding. And I think there's a long way to go in terms of Canadians learning about the history that has impacted Indigenous people, a shared history, Canadian history, <laughs> but it's sort of been, been quietly not talked about or subverted intentionally. And so as Canadians learn that history, there's a lot of work to do in rebuilding those relationships. There's also this, this immediate visual, we look the same for the most part as Canadians. So not necessarily an understanding of how different our cultural beliefs, our cultural background is. And so what I really wanted to do was help build those relationships to build that better understanding, to build a better future for our people and our children and our grandchildren. Um, we look seven generations into the future. That's what we're supposed to always be planning for. So the, the grandchildren of my great grandchildren is, is I want to make sure that they've got a better Canada to live in, a better world to live in. So that's, that was what I wanted to do as my term came to an end. And uh, I was chief during the pandemic. I had about eight months before that hit. <laughs> so navigating leadership in the pandemic and just kind of just got my feet under me and the whole world shifted again. Um, we went from, from council meetings um, with the, council, the elected council of our community uh, twice a month to two to three times a week. Really? And how big, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but how big is your community? How many people are we talking about? We've got about 2,000 members, give or take, uh, but not all of our members live in our community. So you can be a member of our community and, and we've got members spread as far as uh, British Columbia, Texas, New Zealand, all over the world. Um, so 2,000 members that we're trying to, to help navigate this pandemic in different parts of the world, different parts of the country, different places in the community. Um, eight council members who, who were trying to make these decisions with a wide background of experience and education and worldview, um, and just really trying to do our best for the community that, that was immediately geographically present and support all of our community members everywhere. So it was it was really intense and I'm really grateful to have been a part of leadership during that time, but I feel like I did three terms in one. 
tired hearing about it. <laughs> you have to take care of everybody everywhere. I'm like, okay, that's big. It was very big. It was very big. And, and uh, like, obviously you have to prioritize when somebody's going to have hurt feelings or feel left out or have needs that, that you have to address regardless of, of geography. So really grateful that I was there, grateful that I had the opportunity. And also uh, I have two little boys. And so I wanted to step back and refocus my time <laughs> on my kids who yeah. really, really needed it after the pandemic. So uh, in 2022, I decided not to run again for, for elected leadership. Um, but that meant what, what was I going to do with myself? And the piece that I enjoyed the most was building those relationships. And helping people understand um, the cultural differences, the historic differences, the anger that still exists in our communities for what appear to be historic issues, even though they're really not. Um, and there, there was this openness uh, at proof to explore that with me um, and to help their clients explore that in new ways and creative ways and ways that made sense for clients and <clears throat> things that would absolutely benefit Indigenous people in Canada. So I think that answers your question. <laughs> it does. <laughs> all right, we're all done now. Um, <laughs> you mentioned business and community building. And when you say that, and of course, a lot of our um, you know, PR world works for business and organizations and all that. Are we talking about, I, 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 and maybe you can clear things up for me. Like, I don't know how autonomous your community is. And are you trying to, forge business relationships? Are you trying to do an education? Are you trying to do all of the above? Um, all of the above. Okay. It is definitely all of the above. Okay. And so why, maybe, why now? Maybe it would help to understand um, that First Nations in Canada are almost entirely reliant on funds from the federal government. Okay. okay. That's where their funds come from. It's, it's transfers from the federal government, some transfers from provincial governments, which in the U.S. would sort of be state governments. Mm -hmm. But we operate at all levels of government. So we do all of the municipal work that you would have to do or the county work. We do all of the provincial or state level uh, legislative work and um, infrastructure work and all of those things. And then we also we just get funds from the federal government and we have to administer that on a federal level as well. So it's it's this broad spectrum of governance that First Nations are doing, but all of our revenue comes almost directly from government transfers. So you really have to take a lot of time to build up revenue that supports your own autonomous desires in your community, um, your First Nation, to be able to, to direct those funds and do the things that the community needs that aren't necessarily dictated by a government level. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to accomplish all of the above, <laughs> but, but that also means finding ways to build revenue for our First Nations. So we have to figure out how to run a business. And I think most people know that governments are not great at running businesses. The election piece really impacts your effectiveness in, in business administration. So um, there's a lot going on in First Nations in Canada. And the ones that are really successful are the First Nations that have found ways to operate businesses that feed funds back into the community, the First Nation for First Nation priorities. And that I that that gives you some sort of independence. You're not reliance on mm -hmm. government money. 
Exactly. Now, do you have to partner with businesses, I imagine, to start those businesses? I mean, it's hard to just, you need outside, you, you need outside people to work with on these things, I guess, correct? Usually, often, not always. Um, if you're, if your first nation is, is uniquely located in a region that has a great industry, you may be able to participate in that. But the land mass of first nations in Canada, as far as I understand, are much smaller than the ones in the U.S. So we're talking about, um, you know, a little bit bigger than, than say Central Park would be a reserve land size. And so not huge, right? Um, and, and often in areas where there wasn't agricultural land, because those were the lands that First Nations were allowed to keep under treaties or, or given, allocated by the government, um, when, when movement was happening sort of as, as this continent was settled. So, um, settled by non-Indigenous people. <laughs> Tricky wording there. So, sorry, focus me back on the question. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about how you have to part. I mean, I guess the general question is you need, to, you are looking, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but part of what you are doing is looking to forge relationships, right? With, yeah. out, with business and community. And it sounds like, and again, as I said before, stop me if I'm wrong, First Nations do need to do that to advance to some degree. There are some First Nations that can create businesses on their own and there are certain capabilities, but it's a limited number of population and everything, right? So absolutely. So if that's what we're looking at, what are you seeing in terms, I mean, what are you seeing in the impediments in doing that? Um, I mean, I think... I think there's a lot of learning to do before those relationships are are working. I think there's a lot of cultural differences when it comes to business, specifically um, that that needs to be understood both by First Nations and by businesses. So when we come together to work together, um, the negotiation position for First Nations is often what's fair, and the negotiation position for businesses is usually what's best for me, and how do I get that? <laughs> <laughs> so fundamentally, ideologically, there's a significant difference between those two negotiating positions. And so that's, that's how understanding that is how we avoid exploitation of Indigenous people, right? It's how we avoid massive misunderstandings that lead to litigation between First Nations and businesses, First Nations and governments, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of understanding from from a point of looking at Indigenous people and we wear the same clothes and we drive the same cars and we live close to the same communities, yeah. there are some really ideological fundamental differences that need to be understood as we build these relationships effectively. Cultural differences. Cultural differences, yeah. yeah. Are people A, aware of that? And it sounds like maybe not so just based on the fact that you have this practice and you did mention <laughs> <laughs> lawsuits and things like that. Um, and are they open to understanding? Yes, they are open to understanding. There is a huge moment in, in Canada right now where there is this openness to understanding. Um, and I think there's a number of things that have kind of played into that in recent history. Um, in 2015, when our Prime Minister Trudeau was elected, he made a commitment to fix the drinking water issues in First Nations mm -hmm. and long-term drinking water advisories. And people were kind of like, what? 
there's water issues in Canada. <laughs> there are major, major water issues in Canada. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, a lot of First Nations that don't have access to clean drinking water and not remote First Nations, not hard to get to First Nations. My First Nation is, is two hours uh, northeast of Toronto. It's not terribly far. It's easy to get to. We're 40 minutes <laughs> north of Peterborough, which has over 100,000 people. Um, we're not we're not hard to get to, and we still have those major water issues. So, um, a lot of a lot of sort of awareness at that point that there were some some things that weren't quite adding up. And then, um, and then in oh my goodness, I'm going to misremember the year 2020 2021. Mm -hmm. um, the the Tech Kamloops residential school revealed that there were uh, children buried on the school ground. Mm -hmm. And those are, that's a sentence no one should ever hear, children buried on a school ground, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it shocked Canadians to think that this could have happened, um, that there could have been this part of history where, where children were, were found dead on what should have been a safe school ground, right? And what did that mean? And then and then the count just keeps climbing. Um, in the last <clears throat> in the last month in Canada, they did ground penetrating radar um, at a school in Saskatchewan and found 2,000 points that have to now be investigated and a child's jawbone and 170 odd hits on residential school grounds in Ontario that now have to be investigated. And so the the count <laughs> is just astronomically high and no. No formal body count at the moment, but enough enough that there's evidence that there are are children buried on these grounds, children that were forcibly taken out of indigenous homes, and and that's not the Canada that anybody in Canada thought we were. It's it's really disappointing and devastating for a lot of people to think that this could have happened, and it can be a really dark place to sit and think, like this is who we are now, <laughs> this, is, this is who we've always been and we didn't know about it. And what I want to do is, is help build up the Canada that Canadians thought we were. We mm -hmm. can do that, we can still be that, but that means facing the truth of our history and finding and building these relationships to overcome it. And so because of all of this happening right now, I think there's a moment where people, Canadians businesses are willing to really step back and start again or work on fixing what happened historically and building meaningful relationships that are not exploitative, that are um, encouraging and healthy and meaningful. So I think that has a lot to do with where we are right now in Canada. And voices like yours. I mean, I've read, and again, stop me if I'm wrong, but that some of the school, the, the relocation of the kids went on to like 1990 in the 90s or something. I mean, this is not far back history. It is uh, not far back history. 1996, 1998. Um, I mean, is it because a lack of voice, a lack of advocacy among Indigenous people, and I don't mean that negatively, or people just looking the other way, or a system I, that you're trying to break through with your efforts now? Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of both. A lot of um, Indigenous people weren't allowed to retain lawyers. We weren't allowed to be lawyers and until into the 70s. So nobody could go to law school from nobody Indigenous could go to law school until into the into the 60s or 70s. And I don't know the date, but 
like that's that's recent history, right? Like the first person, the first indigenous person graduated from law school in my father's lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in my mid to late 30s now. I could have been in a residential school, right? That's what that 1996, 1998 date looks like is that um, the, the young people, not, not older generations could have been, were in residential schools. And, and I think a lot of people miss that fact. But we also continue to have a piece of legislation called the Indian Act. And the Indian Act defines the kinds of things that we are allowed to do and not allowed to do. Um, for example, if uh, I, I do own land on the reserve, I have a house on the reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if I want to leave that to my kids in my will, the Minister of Indian Affairs has to approve my will before that land can be transferred. So there's still this huge paternalism um, it defines who can be an Indian. We, we don't, uh, by default, have control over the members of our community. That's dictated by the Indian Act. And you have to have two parents who are Indian to be full Indian. And if one of your parents is Indian, you're only half an Indian. And if you're half an Indian and you don't marry an Indian, then your kids don't get to be Indian. So you can't leave your land on the reserve to them. And you can't be buried in our cemeteries if you lose that, um, that status. Uh, we have to, we don't have to, but we are, we carry around a card that says that we're status Indians that um, sort of demonstrates at a pharmacy that we have rights to, uh, to some health coverage. And, um, you know, there's, there's taxation issues in Canada that we're exempt from because we carry this card around. And so when you think about the historic places where you were required to carry some piece of identification on you to denote you're part of a group, Canada still has legislation that that does this, right? Um, and is is really paternalistic about the things that are allowed to happen. It's really mind boggling because when you tell me about things like that, you have to get permission to sell your house and and the like. We are obviously far behind in all kinds of <laughs> diversity and inclusion issues in the states as well as everywhere. But it was on the radar, right, fifty years ago at least, and we mm-hmm. hope started to list, dismantle laws, if not in, in reality, but it, so it's amazing that these laws still exist. It is really amazing that the laws still exist. And I use, I use Indian all the time because that's what the card says and that's what the legislation says. And it makes people really uncomfortable. And I often say, it's, you should be uncomfortable <laughs> until we have enough Canadians uncomfortable with the fact that this exists. Politicians are not going to feel empowered to do something about it. So Yes, be uncomfortable and do something, <laughs> even, if, <laughs> even if all you do is reach out to your elected officials and say, how is this still a thing? Right. That, that creates an awareness and, and an ability for politicians to do something about it. There's also a lot of hesitation from, from First Nations and, and Indian people in particular in Canada to do something about it because it protects our land base, because it um, insulates our community from a number of things that could be exploited and really problematic. So we have to replace it with something mm-hmm. and we have to really be intentioned and thoughtful about what that is. But I don't find anybody's really turning their mind to, well, what do we replace it with? How do we continue to ensure, you know, the protection of our language and our communities and our beliefs and still remove this really systemically problematic piece of legislation. Yeah. So it, there's, there's a lot of issues there that, that have to be tackled. But I think those issues are tackled by building relationships, by 
knowing someone who's indigenous that you can talk to and say, like, I don't understand, is this real? (laughs) Or, you know, what is it that, what is it that First Nations would like to see? And I think business can be a big ally in that. Big business in particular has an opportunity to be a big ally. So building those relationships that are meaningful, that create awareness of cultural differences, that create respectful cultural relationships are really important to me. So I know you're at the start of at least your proof journey, not your destination journey. (laughs) So what are you doing? Um, I mean, are you, who are you, you know, as a communicator, as a communications firm, what, what are you doing? What's your role? Who are you talking to? Or how do you even start? How do you start? You just do whatever that looks like, wherever you are in your journey, you just do, because we don't have time to not do it. We don't have time to be afraid of it anymore. So Um, You know, I'm working with a number of clients that are on sort of a broad spectrum of where they are in their in their journey to building relationships with First Nations from like, how do I pick up the phone? (laughs) Who do I call? Who's the First Nation closest to me? What does that look like? Um, and, and, And I will help them figure that out and then and then make those calls or you know, government organizations that are building relationships with First Nations and think that they've done a lot, but it's kind of scattered over a whole bunch of programs. How do they pull it together and make it more effective, take it to the next level? What does that look like? Um, And so, you know, it can be assistance in planning an event that's inclusive, that makes Indigenous people feel comfortable, that provides them with the information that they're actually looking for instead of the information that the the organization wants to convey. And those are two very different things. Um, or, Or just sitting down and saying... Where is it Where is it you need to learn before you can move forward in that journey? Maybe you're not ready to reach out yet. Maybe you need to understand the history of Indigenous people in Canada, which is long and complicated. <laughs> maybe you need it at a high level. Maybe you need a deep dive. It depends on, on sort of the, the organization. So I'm working, you know, across a broad spectrum of clients, whether it's, you know, government organizations that need assistance with communication or developers who are looking to develop real estate projects or um, pharmaceutical companies that are looking to support Indigenous communities or, you know, all of those things are are pieces of what I've started working on. Um, and we're, we're being a bit selective at the moment to really make sure that we're providing, it's just me at the moment. <laughs> against the world or with the right. world rather. <laughs> right well that's it I, I don't I don't want to think about it against the world it's right. just me starting to build these relationships but those will snowball right once we've sort of done a couple of of different firms and different organizations that will raise awareness and then more more businesses more firms more clients will start to look at that and think that's something that I should do and then it will will have to clone me I'm not sure find somebody else to work with me <laughs> Lots of, lots of Emily's, lots of chief Emily's. Right. <laughs> Recruit your, your colleagues. Um, you did mention, and this goes back to me wrongly saying you against the world, um, that you want to create a safe space for people who either are not aware or the people that you work with, clients and all. I, I'm sure there's a certain reticence, especially in today's environment where you say something wrong and you're, you know, you blow up. Um, but there is also an ignorance, right? Or on education, whatever you want to call it, about Indigenous people. But you are there to talk, right? You are there to educate people. You know, we don't all know everything. That (laughs) is absolutely my goal, is to create a space and a comfort level 
and a personal relationship where people feel comfortable asking me something and they know that they'll have my discretion and they'll know that, you know, no matter how silly their question sounds, as long as it's coming from a genuine intention of learning, I am happy to answer that. <laughs> you need and, a helpline or an advice right? call. <laughs> I'm, I'm working with an organization and we're doing a monthly Q&A where you can just come in and ask questions whatever your question is. And there's, there's so many questions that people have, right? And if you don't have somebody you can ask, then we're never going to learn. So we have to create that space where it's okay to be questioning. It's okay to be not knowledgeable. And I think culturally, that's a big thing too, in our communities, in our belief system in Ontario, learning is a life journey and you never know anything. And it's always okay to not know and to ask and to learn. Um, and I think in, in sort of Canadian, American, Western cultures, you're supposed to know. It's, it's not okay to not know. Um, so I want to I wanna help bridge that gap by saying, come and ask questions. And that's okay. And if you do it to be offensive, then we're going to have issues. But if you do it because you don't know and you want to learn and you're respectful, then, then absolutely, I will answer questions. Excellent. That's a great place to <laughs> cap our conversation. <laughs> So um, I may be calling you with some questions. I hope that's all right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Call with questions. <laughs> I, um, I'm fascinated and I love this uh, topic and this conversation. So I appreciate your time and good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too. Is that it? Do we just log off now? <laughs> so we just wait. First we hit the thing. Okay. Which I don't even see the recording. So we're just going to record it anyway. Oh, pause. Stop recording.